Hey, hey, this is Stacy Cradiville, and you're listening to the Cappuccino Mic Drop Podcast. This is episode number two of the Cappuccino Mic Drop Podcast, and today we are talking with Erica Duchet, a CTE and VAPA teacher who is also advisor for the Black Student Union. So Erica, would you rather deal with an angry parent or a hyperactive student? Obviously an angry parent. Because you can just email. You can have email correspondence. A hyperactive student's always in in person. It's tiring, right? Emails can get really misconstrued with the tone. And so there might be a lot of really angry emails. Okay. Honestly, could I I guess that isn't really a good answer because I deal with hyperactive students every day. <laughs> so it's not a choice. There's no would you rather. It's like you will. You have no choice. So maybe this is a trick question. I should say I'd rather deal with a hyperactive kid because I already do deal with hyperactive kids. And so that just means that I don't have to tack on the angry parent. Right. I wasn't trying to change your your answer on the would you rather there. I changed my mind, though, because I realized that was not smart. Angry parents are not fun to deal with. I feel pretty confident when I feel like like I didn't. If I'm wrong, I'm happy to say I'm wrong. And if I'm not and need to set a boundary, I'm happy to set a boundary and I'm not going to take it personally. Okay, now I'm, am I, okay, do I That's initially awesome. get a little bit flustered? Yes. So I can't say I'm just, just, I'm just so good at confrontation. I don't get mad. That's not true. I probably will initially get flustered, but uh, then I'll just have to set a boundary or admit that I was wrong. Erica, tell us about your teaching journey. What's your teacher story? Oh, my teacher story. Um, Zan's the one who got me into teaching. Did you know that? I did not uh, know that. We w- actually, Zan and I have been friends since our undergraduate, um, like since undergrad. We both went to UC Santa Cruz. So I've known Zan since I was like 20, 19 or 20. Um, and then I didn't start teaching until I was 33. I was in marketing communications. I was doing marketing and I thought I wanted to go to business school and further my career in marketing. But then I realized, wow. I really hate the corporate world. I just don't like fit into that environment because um, I'm kind of goofy and I, I'm more interested in the arts and I don't want to work with like I was working in the high tech industry and I just didn't connect with all the, you know, linear thinking computer engineers and the set people in sales who are just talking about their vacations and yachts. And, you know, it just seemed like I just wasn't having any meaningful interactions. It was all just very um you know, you go to work and you're just helping some company make more money. And I just didn't feel good about the work was interesting, but I didn't feel like good. It didn't, you know, it wasn't fulfilling. And then I took a year off and I, and while I was taking my year off, I, I thought, well, maybe I'll just do some substitute teaching. Cause I hear, you know, it's pretty flexible and you know, it's something I could do while I, I take a year off, you know? And so I went and I observed Zan's class and I remember volunteering, helping in her ceramics class. And I thought, wow, this is so much fun. Cause I needed to get out. I needed to get a certain number of hours before I could actually be a substitute teacher. It's like part of the requirement. Um, and then I had to take the CBUS. There's actually, anyway, so. Oh, you mean did, to get into the teaching credential program? No, to be a sub. Oh, to be a sub? You had to observe? Yeah. Oh, wow. I just had to like have a certain number of volunteer hours so that um, before I can a- apply to be a sub. 
it's like, I don't know, 20 hours or something. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And you have to have a college degree. And I think I actually already took the CBEST like in college or something. So I already had that done because I had some friends who were in a teaching program. And I don't know what, actually, I have no idea how I ended up doing that. I don't remember. But anyway, took so it for fun. Why not? Sounds like a hoot. Um, and then anyway, I just ended up really liking it, you know, because I have a degree in art with an emphasis in photography. Zan and I actually met, in, we were in the same art department, although she did like intermediate and sculpture and I was more like photography. We had some mutual friends and then, yeah, so she got me in to this. That's cool. Then she ended up, being, now my, she ended up being my master teacher because at NDNU, they didn't, couldn't find anyone in the arts who could be my master teacher. And they said, do you know anyone? And I said, yes. And then Suzanne ended up being my master teacher. And then we thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if I ended up teaching at Cappuccino? And here I am. Wow. That is a cool story. Kind of. <laughs> so tell me about the classes that you're teaching. I know you have photography and art of video, IB film. What are you doing? You said it. That's it. I do, I do digital of- photo. I do art of video. Well, actually they changed the name. It's now video production. Um, <laughs> and then IB film. Um, oh, wait, I should tell you, there's more to my teacher journey. My first year of teaching. Okay. I had, this was my first year of teaching ever. I'd never been a teacher before. Um, so I get a job at Cappuccino and do you know what my workload is? You know what they give me? I have digital photo. Okay. But digital photo is stacked with yearbook because they decided to give me yearbook. So I had yearbook stacked in digital photo, but I only had five students in yearbook. This is my first year teaching. And then I also have advanced digital photo. So I have advanced fo- digital photos stacked with five students in yearbook advanced digital photo. And then I have art of video, advanced art of video. And then I have IB film and I hadn't learned the IB curriculum yet. So I had to go get my IB, get IB um, trained over the summer. And then I had to do Mustang news. It Welcome was. to teaching. <laughs> Here's all these things that you're doing for the entire school. And then I had, and and I had to do my bits and I had to do bits it was hell. Oh my God. I don't know how I got through that. So after getting through those first two years, you can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you being new at CAP and having all of that on your plate and it just being really crazy. Yeah. Trying to do all of that. It was the first time I ever cried on a job. Oh. And guess what? I used to not never yell. I was mellow. And I yell every day now. <laughs> Okay. I used to never yell. I yell every day and I used to not be confrontational. Now I'm just so good at confrontation. I'm like, you stop it. So <laughs> it's, it changes you. It really does. What got you through those first two really crazy years? Well, I think I had some support, like, you know, luckily Zan's a good friend of mine and she kind of um, mentored me a little bit and just re- reassured me that, you know, the first two years of teaching is hell for everyone and that it gets better, and that everything I was going through is pretty much normal, except for the workload. She said that was insane. But like, I was just, I think I just had some, um, you know, my my friends and the school community just kind of supported me. I just really wanted to be a teacher. I enjoyed being in the classroom, right? It was just the expectations that I, my perceived, the expectations I perceived 
um, that, you know, the admin had, like, I was just like, oh, great. Everyone's watching me like a hawk. And I am given this task that's impossible. And I don't know if I can do it. But if I just can get through these two years, I always had I always had fun in class with the students. So now that you got through that and your workload is a little bit more manageable, (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure you're having more fun, more and more fun. Mm -hmm. What fun things are you doing in either your video or photography classes? I give the, I give them some fun Photoshop tutorial tutorials that teach them basically how to use all the tools. My favorite um, assignment is the apocalypse tutorial where you just get all these pictures and even they put the pictures together to, to look like this, this um, post-apocalypse sort of landscape. And it looks really cool. And they don't believe that they can do it at first when they see the image that they're going to have to make. They have to basically reproduce this image, right? Um, and it looks really professional. It's this like post-apocalypse landscape. There's this post-apocalypse dude in the center, and then there are like these missiles and stuff. It's it's and it sounds dorky, but you know, the kids like it, right? Because they're like, ooh, cool, post-apocalypse. It's like, you know, the bros like it. And it looks complex. And they none no one thinks that they can reproduce this image, but they watch the tutorial. I walk them through it step by step. I also you know, give one-on-one help to students um, who don't want to watch my tutorial. They don't, I can't How dare they? that. They don't. What do you mean a student wouldn't watch your tutorial? They ask me the most basic questions and I'm like, oh, I see you didn't watch the tutorial. I just think it's a good assignment because it shows them, it gives them some confidence, you know? Uh-huh. And then after that, after they master that, they're ready to just make their own Photoshop um, images. And then we do, we work on uh, photo composition. So then once they get sick of Photoshop and they whine and they say, I want to use the cameras, then we learn how to use the cameras. Actually, that's not quite how we did it this year. This year we did, I am having them use their iPhones and we focus on composition. Once they master the composition, then I bring in the DSLR cameras because there's another added element with that because they have to learn, well, how does this, this camera work? It has all these buttons. And then there's learning about the exposure triangle it's just like another, uh, I guess, skill to learn. I, I kind of like to sort of spread out the skills. You know, I don't want to be like, okay, you're going to learn how to use the DSLR camera. And then once you take the picture with the DSLR, you're going to then upload it to Photoshop and you're going to process that. And then it's just like overload. So I kind of, and make sure you use rule of thirds. I try to spread it out like, okay, Photoshop skills, just follow the tutorial then okay make your own photoshop images using whatever whatever images you want then okay now let's learn about composition just using your iphone okay now let's use the dslr and i'll teach you about exposure so kind of build on the skills that way of teaching is what everyone should be doing is like building on skills throughout the year and not giving students a hundred things that they need to do right right out the gate, like just focus on these one or two things. And then on the next assignment, add into that. And I think it's unique that in photography, they would constantly need to refer back to the skills that they learned before and apply them continuously. Like it's a continual practice. It's not like, okay, you learn that you no longer need to know that. Like you're still going to have to go back to it. So that's a good reminder for everyone to like 
continue to review and go back to skills that maybe we don't necessarily need all the time, but to bring it up and keep it fresh as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so in video production, they're probably doing some similar things, right? Mm-hmm. And what kinds of like video projects are students working on? Um, well, I start them out um, right now. Next semester, they'll start using the DSLR cameras. But this year, um, for the first semester, they are getting their footage just with their iPhones um, and they're editing using Premiere Pro. Um, I start them out with just uh, introducing them to like shot types, like, okay, there's a close up, there's a medium shot, there's a full shot, there's uh, an establishing shot, you know, there's an extreme close up, this is an insert shot. So they, they just need to be able to identify the different shots. And then they learn, okay, well, why would you use a close up? Close up is used to when you want the viewer to kind of connect with the, the character's emotion, then you want a close up. Um, if the character is maybe less important or the character feels isolated and alone, maybe you want uh, an extremely wide shot. So the character will just, the person will take up a small amount of space, like just stuff like that. Or when do you use, so yeah, and when would you use a certain type of camera movement? You know, I kind of start with the shot types and then as soon as they understand what shot types are, then we go into continuity editing. So we go into editing concepts um, so like if I were to just say, okay, go, go make a video, go make a movie, probably wouldn't have like, you probably would just randomly choose shots. You probably would, wouldn't know when, when would it make sense to use a close up? When would it make sense to have a full shot? You know, if you were doing a dialogue scene, we wouldn't know just off the top of your head that you probably want, oh, let's do a two shot and then over the shoulder shot, reverse shot, uh, and you probably also wouldn't know, don't cross that 180 degree line. Don't cross, there's a line of action you don't want to cross. It's called the 180 degree rule. There's a way to film so that the viewer doesn't get disoriented. So once first, then we learn continuity editing. Then after that, we learn discontinuity editing. And right now we're doing, we're, we're just finishing up discontinuity editing. Some of the, so you're like, what are all these concepts? So now I'll just tell you, <laughs> what some of the project, what some of the other projects they did. They did a clone video, which always ends up really cool. They clone themselves. So they're like interacting with themselves, right? Cool. So, and what I do is I, I, they do the clone video after they learn continuity editing. So they learn the basics of film editing. So continuity mm-hmm. editing is like um, the basis for all like Hollywood editing. How do you maintain space in a way that's continuous and how do you keep the viewer from being disoriented? And it's just kind of the basic like visual language of film. So they learn that. And then I'm like, okay, well now let's learn some special effects and let's make a clone. And it's really funny to see how they interact with themselves. Yeah, it's hard to explain. You just have to see, I, I wish I could just show you some of them. They're really funny. Um, I'm sure the students are super funny and just creative in what they choose to express. I mean, anything visual or performing arts is really pushing students to think outside the box, um, have a message. Like it's really hits on a lot of the IB learner profile attributes that we're trying to teach kids too. Mm -hmm. So what's something that maybe a student has surprised you with? I'm always surprised with how, how many of my students want me to are excited about showing me their work. They're always like, like, Today, I had a student who was like, this is, you know, this is my best work, best 
video yet, Mr. Shea. Come, take a look at it. Come on, come here, take a look at my video. This is my best work yet. And then I had another student who was like, I'm done with my video, Mr. Shea. Do you want to take a look at it? Like I have so many students, they all want me to take a, because they're proud of their work. So I think that's really rewarding. Like, um, so I feel like it makes me happy when my students are enjoying their work and when they feel proud of their work. Um, so one thing that really surprised me, um, hmm, one thing, I can't say there's one thing that really surprises me. Um, well, I did teach my students in-camera transitions. Well, now this is technical and you guys are gonna be like, what the heck is that? I guess just the quality of their work is surprising me. And that week I can actually teach pretty decent editing skills. And like, I can, like, I feel like my class has been going pretty well with even with with the students just using their iPhones. Like I feel like I could teach the whole the whole year without using the DSLR cameras. And I would just focus on editing. That's cool. That's cool that they don't need anything else besides their iPhone and some editing software to be able to make something cool. So they could definitely do make really, you know, creative videos um, just at home for free, you know? Yeah, easily accessible. For IB film, do they have to take your other classes before they take IB or are there new students sometimes? Um, I, I don't make it a requirement to take video production. I think in the past it was a requirement, but actually we're not supposed to have a prerequisite for mm -hmm. IB electives. So I don't make it a prerequisite. I just make sure that they know, okay, well, you know that my class is not just Mustang News class and that Mustang News is a side project and that it really doesn't have much to do with our actual IB film curriculum. It's we, the Mustang News is, so don't think you're going to join IB film and just do Mustang News because actually like 50% of IB film is going to be film analysis uh, where you're going to have to research, you're going to have to be writing, uh, you have to write a paper um, and then there's a multimedia presentation that requires a lot of research as well. Um, so it's about 50% um, analysis, uh, textual analysis, writing, analyzing films, essentially. And then the other 50% is um, like video production. And so I think a lot of kids come into IB Film and they just want to take IB Film because they want they want to have something to do with the Mustang news, right? Yeah. Surprise, write a paper. Yeah, surprise, <laughs> write a paper, 1,750 words. <laughs> Got your sources, thanks. <laughs> That's awesome though, that they're able to get in there and learn all of these skills that I think are going to transfer in a lot of different ways right? They're, they're learning about a lot of different things that are going to help them in other areas. And they might, you know, be using photography or film to like make projects for other classes, or maybe they will go into that for a career or study it in college. And it's a really cool subject for kids to be learning. There's, they're learning a lot of skills. And I'm sure there's a lot of collaboration skills in that too, where they're working with other students and they're always working in, in, in groups, video production and IB film. You have to work in groups. Um, so yeah, that's definitely probably one of the most important skills that they're gaining from IB film and art of video is, uh, you know, the ability to work in teams. 
it's probably actually it's probably a really important class because because of that that skill is used like every day let's say that you were like subbing or working with another teacher in a different content area what is something you would say would be a great idea for them to incorporate video into their class well video is good for any any type of storytelling any kind of documentary so it's really just a way of either telling a story or delivering information. So if you wanted, um, like if it wasn't say an English class where you really have to show uh, your writing skills, like it, let's say it was a history class or uh, I don't know, science, and you just need students to show they understand a concept, um, students can easily, easily visually create a creative video. Yeah, I think that's a good option for students because I know when I was in high school, I was the most engaged in anything that had to do with the arts. Mm-hmm. If I could be creative and I could like have student voice, which I think is why a lot of your students get excited to show you their work. Like it's a I'm proud of this work, but like here's where I can have a voice. I can show someone something that I've created. I can have a message and share it with the world, right? And I thought that was engaging. And I'm sure a lot of our students would be engaged in other classes if they could have a choice to make a video for something or to use their photography skills to create something visual and demonstrate their learning in other ways. Mm -hmm. I had a student um, who came in during, I think it was, it was this year and came in during, um, what's it called why am I blanking out it's not AST anymore it's called flex time flex time and he was making a he was making some kind of a composite image in photoshop for another class and he couldn't remember how to do a certain thing and he asked me you know oh how do you create a shadow again or he just asked me I forgot what what he needed me to ask him to do but he still had his skills was like he he had a pretty decent looking Photoshop image um, or composite image. He he was using those skills for another class assignment. So I thought that was cool. And then I had another student who was doing some kind of a commercial. His he had a, another class assignment. And he had to make some kind of a commercial. And he was making editing his assignment in class. So I thought that I think that's kind of cool. That is so cool. I wish I was in your class. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know your class. Actually, no, I don't like dancing. <laughs> I hate, I, I would have an anxiety attack if I had to dance in public with other people around. I would really have an anxiety attack. I couldn't do it. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> but I want to take you, a PE class. Yes. And you know, PE, I feel like students like don't appreciate it in the moment or they're not like super into it in the moment, but that is something that they come back when they're 25, 30, 35, they, they like get into fitness at that point And they remember things that we've done and it's kind of delayed. And I bet that even the students, like you said, that student coming back and was still making an image for another class, like these skills are going to stick with them and they may end up later down the road needing to create something for their work and be like, Oh, I remember back in Miss Duchesne's class and I learned how to do this and it'll come back to them. And if they might not need it tomorrow or when they immediately leave your class, but they will come back to these skills. So that's really cool. Tell me about being the advisor for the Black Student Union. Oh, okay. So last year I just decided I really wanted to be a part of Black Student Union. You know, I just wanted to be a good ally. I felt like you know, I, I claim to be an anti, 
anti-racist and I claimed to have all these principles and I felt like my actions weren't lining up with them. So I've just been trying to align my uh, actions with my principles more. With everything going on, um, I just felt like I, I wanted to step up and do something more, you know. I decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to join BSU or I wanted to be co-advisor. That was my, um, I, or at least help. So I went in and thinking that, um, Tina Horton, you know, was going to be the advisor and maybe I'd help, or maybe I would, you know, give whatever support I could. And for, you know, for personal reasons, she, she couldn't continue being BSU advisor. And I was happy to, you know, to step up and take the position. What was it like? I mean, they were, they were all very shy in the beginning and like, they didn't know me. I didn't know them. And, you know, they were used to having Tina as their advisor and they all really loved her. And so here I am, I'm like, their beloved advisor's gone and, you know, and, and they're stuck with me. And I knew that I just wanted to support them. And I knew that I wanted to do whatever I could to kind of make our district more anti-racist. And I wanted to push the district so that they would change their policies. And so like, just but I didn't push it on the students, right? Like, I just remember the like the, the first couple of weeks and the students just wished, they said they wish they had a black teacher. So it all started with that, They what they wanted. I wish, we wish we had a black teacher and we talked about why. And then we did some, you know, and I was like, we did some research about, you know, you have this feeling, but, you know, there's a reason you do. And there's actually all this research that shows that having a black teacher actually improves your learning. Oh, having a teacher who looks like you improves learning outcomes. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we also, I also suggested, you know, what if we had, you know, because it was all via Zoom, what if we had some guest speakers? Wouldn't that be cool? We could, you know, everyone likes helping kids. You know, I bet if we just asked people to come speak via Zoom, they would totally, we would totally get some cool guest speakers. And Ananda's mom is a principal within the San Francisco Unified School District. And she has a lot of friends within academia. And so it was like Ananda brought in Professor uh, Stephanie Sears, who's a professor of sociology at um, uh, University of San Francisco, I think. And so she came and did a really, really inspirational presentation. And she just talked with the students and she talked about issues around race. And well, she talked about also why it's important to be able to see yourself in your teachers, to you know, to, to have teachers and any people in places of power who look like you is because we don't see people who look like us, then we won't be able to imagine ourselves in those places. So she just kind of really inspired us. And she said that we need to talk about race because if we can't talk about race, we can't address the issues around racism. So that was one thing she emphasized with us. She said, okay, well, if there's one thing I want you all to do for me, she said, I want you to talk about race because if we can't talk about race, then we can't address issues around racism. And so that's kind of, that kind of set the tone for the rest of the year. And then, so we were thinking, well, okay, so you students also, they wanted to have, a, they wish they had a black teacher. And I thought, well, let's do something about it. What are we going to do? So we, well, first we did all this research to find out just to, so that we had our sources. We knew, we wanted to know what was the research around having teachers who look like you or having black teachers. And so we did all this research and then we incorporated that, incorporated that into a letter that we wrote to the superintendent. Um, then we actually met with the superintendent. He came to our club meeting and we had some discussions about it. And then we also, we just kept confronting issues around race. You know, we're like, okay, well, 
why don't we have a Black Lives Matter solidarity statement? We've never seen it. It's not on our website. That's bothering us. So who do we need to talk to? Like, so, okay, well, let's talk about it. So, oh, Mr. Boyce, come join our meeting. So then we had a conversation with them. You have dialogue with the students and then you're like, okay, well, well what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. How did that all turn into the really cool mural that's in the hallway now? Uh-huh. How did that come about? Well, Ananda showed us a, a cool mural that her Girl Scout troop did over the summer. And we were like, we want a mural. But that was just kind of on the back burner for a while. And then PTO had um, invited us to one of their meetings during Black History Month. And I was like, you know what? They invited us. We got to go to this. Why? Because they have money. And guess what? I bet they can fund our mural. So, you know, you have to be a little smart too. Got to connect the dots. Okay. PTO wants us to present. Let's, you know, let's ask them for money. (laughs) (laughs) How are you going to say no? How are you going to say no? You can't say no to that. I am just there to kind of support them and kind of connect them to the resources, you know? Yes. So we go and we present, talk about what we've been up to, you know, in BSU. And then they asked, you know, is there anything that you need from us? Is there, you know, we would be happy to um, help support the club. And we're like, well, we really want a mural. We didn't say it like that. Okay. I, we said, well, we would really like to do a mural. And then Jesse said that, you know, oh, well, I've actually been wanting more like visual, visual, like artwork around campus. And he had this idea of taking, there were some banners he was going to take down and replace with like graphic banners that have like graphics on them. And we're like, no, we don't want a banner, you know, like not a (laughs) banner. We want a mural. So we just like specified. We're like, well, we really want a mural. And that's just how it happened. And, but it actually went through a really long process. You know, we, we came up with the design together. The students did. Then, you know, it was, there were a lot of iterations. Uh, So all the members came up with the design and then, uh, Carolyn Wong, uh, basically, she worked on like a rough draft for a sketch so that she could present it to Mr. Boyce. And then Mr. Boyce decided, sorry, I'm calling Mr. Boyce and Jesse. Okay, so then Jesse, also known <laughs> Mr. Boyce. Okay, I'm being weird. Um, he, he likes processes, right? So he's like, well, I'm going to, I think we should present this to the student council and get a vote. And if they like it, well, it'll go up. And of course, he also had to get approval from the district. And everyone has loved it. And it turned out great. The students did an awesome job painting it. And I think it really adds to our school culture to have the art represent how the students are feeling right now and everything that they're working towards. Yeah, I agree. I think I would I think we need more murals. And actually, I had so much fun over the summer, helping the students paint that mural. And it took a long time. I mean, we were there for over a month, like from 9.30 until like four, we'd be there painting. We don't have the strongest painting skills. You should have seen those faces we painted initially. They looked so bad. We had to keep painting over it. We're like, oh my God. You know, the hands holding one of the um, protest signs? Uh Uh-huh. She used to have some shriveled fingers. Okay, shriveled up skeleton fingers. Spooky. Spooky. We had to paint over that. (laughs) Do you have pictures of like? No, it's hilarious. I'll totally. I I think it's like it's like my um my personal uh, meme. 
like I, I've actually sh- I, I showed it to my my sister and, and and I also showed it to Zan, and she laughed. I need to see it. I'll, I'm going to show it to you. It's really okay. okay. <laughs> but Erica, what is the best mic dropping teacher advice that someone has ever given to you? Don't stress out too much. Okay, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay if you know your lesson doesn't go the way you ha- the way you planned it to to go it's okay if maybe your lesson bombed and the class was not engaged like the kids are going to be okay okay they're not it's not like you damaged them and oh no now they're not going to get into harvard you know um they're fine it doesn't matter if you make a mistake the kids are fine and they don't notice as much as you think and you know you just revise the lesson and start again the next day i guess that That's- that makes that always makes me feel better Well, Erica, thank you for sharing all of that. You are so easy to talk to. And I love learning about your classes and your work with the BSU. And I appreciate everything you do for Kat. Wish I could be in your classes to hear your, your jokes every day. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Cappuccino Mic Drop. Some takeaways I have from talking to Erica is that we need to create more opportunities for students to create and represent their learning in visual ways. It could be digitally through photography or video, but it could just be on paper or through other means. Being innovative does not always require the use of technology. We can use technology to do new things and be creative, but we don't always have to. One really cool thing that I've been learning about lately is called sketchnoting. And if you haven't heard of sketchnoting, it's a way of taking notes or just visually representing what you've learned on paper with little drawings, drawing icons, selecting quotes, or just like bullet points. And it's fun and colorful and is something that will help a lot of our students. I think some of our students would really benefit from being able to learn about sketchnoting. I learned from Erica how to be a really good listener. I think it's so important that we listen to our students and what they think is important and just connecting them with the resources that they needed to reach their goals really is what we're here for. If you have questions or an idea for a future podcast, you can shoot me an email or you can also go to anchor.fm slash cap mic drop and click on the button that says message. You'll be able to leave me a voice message and it may appear on a future episode. I especially want to hear from you if you want to recommend a colleague for an interview. If one of your neighbors or someone in your department is doing something really awesome that everyone would benefit from learning about, let me know and I'll reach out to them. I would love to get them on the podcast. Thank you again for listening and have a wonderful day.